Good morning. It's great to be here today. Happy Mother's Day. If you've got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be today, and we'll be taking a, a short break from our, our, our series that we've been in. The title of my message is uh, proudly stolen from a Beatles song, and it is Mother Mary. The subtitle, though, is, is the important part, Snapshots from the Miraculous, Messy, Joyful, Exhausting, Blessed, and Sometimes Painful Life of Jesus's Mom. And I don't know if you know this or not, but preaching on Mother's Day is a tightrope walk. And we'll come back to that in, in, certain, in certain ways throughout the message. There is a danger on the one hand, we need to honor moms, right? On the other hand, I do not want this to turn into a Hallmark card. And on the other hand, as if there was another hand, not everybody has the same experience as a mom. Some of us are grieving the loss of a mom. Not all of us had the same experience with our biological mom. Some of us have dealt with infertility. Some of us have dealt with prof profound um, pain that made it even difficult to even come today to church because of that reality. And so it's a, it's a tightrope walk, and I'm going to do my best to walk that this morning. But I want to start with some family photos, family photos. And I grew up quite literally in a little house on the prairie in Kansas. And I looked for a photo of us by our little house. I couldn't find one, so this one will have to stand in here. This is as close as I could get. Um, clearly, clearly, I was the one taking the picture. But in any, in any case, I grew up in a little house on the prairie um, in Kansas. My dad pastored a little church in the country there. And on one side of our house was this, this you know, picturesque field, hay field in Kansas. Behind the house was this creek with trees. And I'd go hunting back there. And one of my most vivid memories from childhood was a, was a very sort of Laura Ingalls Wilder-esque memory. I was playing out in the yard one day, probably playing ball or something, and I caught this just this whiff of smoke, this sort of sulfur smell. And I looked up across the big hayfield up the hill, and sure enough, there was this, this growing haze, this cloud of smoke. And just a few minutes later, I looked over the hill, and a raging little house on the prairie-esque grass fire came storming down the hill, driven by that Kansas western wind. And I, was, I remember just being shocked by, one, the smell, how pungent it was, the sort of sulfur, smoky smell, and how fast that fire just raged down the hill. And so my mom grabbed my three little sisters and sort of, you know, exited to get to get them to safety because they were little and then myself and my dad we called the fire department but it was a you know a volunteer fire fire department and I think they used like a donkey and some some buckets and and so they didn't get there for a long time and my dad and I had like a buckets and a hose trying to like beat back this this fire in true you know little house in the prairie fashion and miraculously at the last minute as it came sort of roaring towards our our house where we lived the wind shifted and it carried it in the opposite and in, in another direction. And so we didn't, we didn't lose our house. But one of the memories I have is of my mom. And she grabbed my three little sisters, who were, were very little at the time, and she grabbed one other item, or rather items, a giant stack of photo albums. 
And so this was back in the day where we had photo albums, right? No, no cloud was storing your photos. And this was like the sum total of her memories of us as a family and also of going back years before even we kids were born. And she grabbed those photo albums and she took my sisters to safety. She didn't want to lose those, those photos, those, those memories of us as, as a family. And, and thankfully, we didn't lose those. But there's a reason for that. Um, the old adage is that a picture is worth a thousand words, and every picture tells a story. And so what I want to do today in this message is to look at really three snapshots, three pictures from the life of Mary, Jesus' mom. And, and the goal is not to, to worship moms, but to honor moms by looking at the life of Jesus' mother, and to, to draw out from that some lessons that will be relevant for all of us, regardless of whether or not you're a mom or, or not. And so three snapshots from the life of, of Jesus' mom. And the first one is perhaps the most violent imagery that has ever been used for a Mother's Day message. Snapshot number one, a sword will pierce your soul. And you'll see that in your update Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, it says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what, what the custom of the law required Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It's a pretty good, uh, you know, announcement over your kid, right? If you, you, I mean, I don't know what it is about people when you have a baby, they want to touch the baby, and apparently that was still true in the first century. You imagine walking into this busy temple and some old guy you've never met just grabs your baby and starts pronouncing prophecy over his life, but it's pretty good prophecy, right? I've never had anybody, I have, I have cute kids, nobody's ever grabbed my baby and said, this is the Messiah, the greatest baby who has ever lived, right? But that's, that's essentially what what Simeon does. And you have to expect from Mary, that felt, that felt pretty great to have somebody pick up your baby and pronounce to the whole temple, this is the Redeemer, the Lord of Israel, the, the Messiah. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week, a story, next slide, about a guy by the name of Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson was the first African-American heavyweight champion of the world. And in 1910, July the 4th, 1910, he defeated 
um, Jim Jeffries and became the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And he had to go overcome intense racism, intense scrutiny. But on the night of the fight, when he finally won this, this victory in Chicago, his mom was listening to the telegraph and the report came over the telegraph and her neighbors were so overjoyed that they literally lifted her up on their shoulders and paraded her through the streets because she was the mother of the heavyweight champion of the world. And I have to think like in some way that's, there's something like that going on within the heart of Mary. When somebody pronounces, your kid is the Messiah, I can finally die in peace because I've held your baby. It doesn't get, doesn't get much better than that. And, and yet, Simeon's prophecy takes a, a turn. And he says this next. The child's father and mother, it says, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then there's this line, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Like, whoa, there's this, this good news Blessed are you, he says. And then there's this line about it. Your son's going to be spoken against. He'll cause the rising and falling of many. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And in one sense, I think that is the quintessential description of motherhood. It is to be blessed. And it is to have a sword pierce your soul. Um, and, and if you wanted to sort of sum up the takeaway, you could say this, that in the Christian life, as in motherhood, so this is true for moms, but it's also true for all of us. In the Christian life, as in motherhood, the greatest blessings come bundled with the possibility or even the promise of the greatest pain. I'll say that again. In the Christian life, as in motherhood, the greatest blessings come bundled with the possibility or even the promise of the greatest pain. C.S. Lewis says this in The Four Loves. He, he writes this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And it, it strikes me as interesting that he uses that word impenetrable, right? If we're going to escape the pain that comes with loving anyone deeply, we become callous and hard and impenetrable. And the promise that comes to Mary as a mom is not just that she will be blessed, but that her heart will be pierced. A sword will pierce your, your soul, Simeon says. We could say, well, what does that mean, right? I mean, on one level, 
you get the sense that it, it has something to do with the cross, that, that Mary is going to receive honor because she is the mother of Christ, but she is also going to watch as her son is brutally executed and a sword will pierce her soul. She's going to watch as people reject her baby. She's going to watch as her child rebukes her for misunderstanding his mission. And there is this aspect of motherhood that involves an intense blessedness, but also this, this piercing, this piercing that, that happens. I, I read uh, a book recently by a guy named Krish Kandaya, and it's called Paradoxology. Nice title. Um, the subtitle is Why Christianity Was Never Meant to Be Simple. And, and he makes this contrast between a surgeon and a psychopath, right? There is a difference. He says, he says this, psychopaths and surgeons have something in common. Both can inflict considerable pain with a knife. Both can cause scarring, loss of limbs, disfigurement. But whereas we would fight off an attack by a psychopath, we would or we should willingly put ourselves under the surgeon's knife because we trust their expertise and their motives. And we recognize that in order to save life, sometimes pain and loss have to be endured. He says both a sermon, uh, it's not a sermon, a surgeon and a psychopath may use a knife, but they use it for very different purposes. Both of them may pierce the body, but they do it for very different reasons. And he says, one of the challenges of the Christian life is to learn to trust that God is more like the surgeon than the psychopath. And that even the piercing that he brings or the piercing that he allows, just as in this passage with Mary, ultimately, is, is for our healing and for our good. And that not one drop of that pain from the piercing will be wasted. Sometimes I thought about this, this statement to Mary that, that sometimes it's, it, she, it's said that she's blessed, but also there's this piercing. But for many of us, sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes the blessing is the piercing. And that it's when your heart is rent that it's actually opened up and you have empathy for what others are going through. You have a, a renewed compassion, a renewed sense of how God works in the midst of pain. And so the first word to Mary is a word of blessing, but it's also this word that to be a mom is going to involve difficulty, trials. And that's true for, for all of us as well. Snapshot number one. Snapshot number two. This one, from the, from the painful to perhaps the humorous, the quote is, son, not that I have ever said this, son, why have you treated us like this? A little bit further in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, Jesus is a little bit older, he's, he's a child, it says this in verse 41 of Luke chapter 2, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they, his parents, were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, I don't know if this has ever happened to you as a parent, 
thinking that their child was in their company. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. After three days of searching, they, they, finally, they finally find him, listening to them, asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother, his mother says this, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus responds, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And at this point, I feel like Mary, if we're really honest, we don't get Mary's thoughts, but if she's like, if you weren't the second member of the Trinity, I would tan your hide, right? If, if you were not the son of God, because why were you looking for me? Right? I had to be in my father's house, he says. <laughs> and then to add this note to show that Jesus was not a terrible child, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient, was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I don't know if you've ever had a memory that at the time you were furious, but like years later, it became a memory that you, that you, you treasured, you cherished. It says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in, in stature. Um, I think every single parent, every single person in some sense has had this moment where someone makes you so upset about what they've done. Like, why did you do this? How could you do this to me, Jesus? How could you... Leave us, not tell anybody we've been searching for you for like three days. And how in the world, why did you do this to me? And I think one of the things that's true for, for Mary, but it's true for, for all parents at some level, it's true for all of us. One of the greatest balancing acts in parenthood, and also in, in mothering, we could say, next slide, is the tension between two truths, simultaneously true things. On the one hand, this is my kid, and on the other hand, this is God's kid. Jesus says, why, why are you looking for me? You should have known. I, I had to be in my father's house. And I wonder if on one level that, for Joseph especially, he's standing here, like I wonder if that stung a little bit, right? I, I need to be in my father's house. And Mary, as any parent, as any mother, we're like, why have you done this to us? What have you done? There's this tension between this is, this is my kid and this is God's kid. And that's a balancing act for every single parent. It's a battle that Mary will have to fight, I think, probably for the, for the full length of Jesus' ministry. And we don't have to guess at that. The scriptures are clear that that's the case. In one of the passages that we don't often read about Mary, Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus was gaining a reputation. He was teaching in a house. And Mary shows up, along with Jesus' other brothers, to take him away. Because, quote, they thought that he had lost his mind. <laughs> Jesus, your mom's here. She thinks you're crazy. You need to go. And she brought your brothers. And, you know, if she needed some muscle, she brought them too. 
There is this wrestling match, I assume, for Mary her whole life between these two realities. This is my kid. He's my kid. Right? He, he has her DNA, we assume, at some level. And unlike, he doesn't have Joseph's DNA, but we assume he has Mary's. This is my kid, and yet, this is God's kid. And I cannot control him. I cannot possess him. That's something that's true for parents. It's something that's true for all of us in one level. The tension between this is my life and this is God's life. This is my money or this is God's money. This is my career or this is God's career. That tension between what's, what's mine and what's, what's God's. And for all of us, that tension is, is a difficult one to walk through. But the challenge, I think, for me as a parent, and my kids are little, uh, so I don't know anything yet. I just want to throw that out there. Um, but my sense is when it gets out of balance, when your child messes up, we take it as a verdict on our own worth or our own value. Jesus, why have you done this to us? Mary says. Um, and we're in the throes of that with little kids right now. We had an incident, I won't name any names, but where one child this week um, may have peed his or her pants in Walgreens, putting an end to the, the daily shopping routine, while another child allegedly stole an item from Walgreens and had to go back to do the perp walk. And uh, it's, it's, the, it's like, why have you done this to us? Why have you done this to us? There's this tension between my kid and, and God's kid, this this differentiation between loving something and possessing it, between guiding and controlling, between taking pride, but on the other hand, feeling shame. This, this balancing act that every single one of us walks. But, but Mary, to her credit, it doesn't end with her berating Jesus. It ends with her treasuring and pondering this event that at the time you have to imagine was incredibly, incredibly frustrating. Last snapshot, from the painful to the humorous to the beautiful and, and the blessed, the, the good news. And this statement that's, that's true of, of Mary, that all generations shall call her blessed. Luke's gospel once again, but this time a little bit earlier in chapter one. To set up the context, Mary um, has just found out that she's pregnant. She's not wed yet, and she knows exactly in her culture the kind of rumors and the kind of dangers that will arise because of her um, not being married and being, and being pregnant. She has this encounter with an angel, and then she goes to see her friend Elizabeth, and that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 45, it says this. Next slide. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. That's Elizabeth's statement that she, she says to Mary. And then Mary bursts out in, in song. This is called the Magnificat, or the, the song of Mary. And Mary said, or perhaps more accurately, Mary sang my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, 
for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. All generations will call me blessed. I have a theory about Mother's Day. A pastor friend of mine tweeted this statement. He said, if we preached Mother's Day the way we preach Father's Day, it would be the worst holiday of the year. <laughs> because sometimes the tendency is for pastors, many of whom are male, to, to just you know, honor mothers to the, to the dines, the, which is good, we ought to do that. And then Father's Day, it's like, get your act together, mister. And, and we have this different approach on the respective holidays. And my hunch or my theory is that there's something analogous to what we do with Administrative Assistance Day. I don't know if any of you honor that holiday in your office, but in, in my office, we, we honor that, and we really honor the Administrative Assistance. And I have a hunch that part of the reason we do that is that oftentimes we spend the rest of the year taking them for granted, and then out of guilt on this one day, we honor them to, to you know, a high degree. And perhaps that's sometimes the reason why we preach Mother's Day the way we do. If we spend the rest of the year taking someone for granted, we feel, we feel guilty about it. And I, of course, have never done that. But um, yesterday, I was at graduation, uh, had our graduations at Oklahoma Wesleyan, where I, where I teach as a professor. And we had these massive floral bouquets at the front of the stage. And as I was leaving, um, one of the administrative assistants said, hey, would you like to take one of these to Brianna? Um, Mother's Day is, is you know, coming up, and I, I knew that, of course. And I said, sure. And so I, I took this mother's, this bouquet. I have a picture of Brianna with her bouquet. This is, um, I think she was like, did you rob a funeral? What is this? This is, a, <laughs> this is not a bouquet. It's like a hedge of protection. I, I finally know what that Bible verse means now. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is, sitting this just monstrosity of flowers, sitting on our on our on our on our countertop now. And sometimes I think that's the case with Mother's Day. We feel guilty for overlooking people, and so this one day of the year, we we try to do better. But the but the word to Mary is, because she is the mother of the Messiah, not just one generation, but but all generations will look at her and call her. Blessed, And that's true for Mary to an extent that it's not true perhaps of other mothers. But I think at some level it is true of other mothers. That your legacy and the honor that you receive will transcend your own generation. There's a few observations that, that stand out to me from this, from this passage. One of the things is that the, the, the thing that, that turned Mary, that moved her from fear to song was not the angel. I have a sense that the angel left her a little weirded out uh, or a little frightful. The thing that moved her from fear to song was not the angel, but a meaningful encounter with another mom, another person, and specifically a person who had dealt with barrenness and the pain of wanting to be a mother and not experiencing it. It was another person that moved her from fear to song. And I know that's true for many mothers in this room. It's true for many men, for many young adults in this room. That ministries like MOPs that take place here at Grace during the week, 
ministries like the well table that take place here for women, small groups for men and women, for young adults. In an encounter with another person who can share your journey with you is the thing that can move you from, from fear to, to song. And so my encouragement to you would be to get connected in a meaningful relationship with another Christian who can, who can walk alongside of you. Um, the cottage, what a cool ministry. I see that mobile ultrasound unit on campus oftentimes and knowing that they take that all over the country, um, ministering to women who are in very difficult circumstances. An encounter with another person is what moved Mary from fear to song. A second observation from this, from this passage, the joy I think from Mary comes as she recognizes that God, she says, he's mindful of the humble state of his servant. God, you are mindful. You have been mindful of the humble state of your servant. That's the thing that, that gives her joy. One of the favorite quotes I've shared before from Karl Barth, the great Swiss-German theologian, he says, one of the things that we learn from Jesus is that it is as godlike to be humble as it is to be exalted. And the thing that moves Mary to song, in addition to an encounter with another woman, in this case, another expectant mother, is that God sees her in her humble state and he, he is mindful of what, she's, of what she's going through, that it's not unnoticed. It's not unnoticed. Last thing from this passage, the reward for Mary and the reward for mothers, for, for Christians who, who serve and love is that all of God's humble servants, for all of God's humble servants, your legacy transcends your life. All generations, she says, will call me blessed. And so my prayer for you whether you are a mom or not, is that your, your legacy would transcend your lifetime, perhaps through your children, through the sacrifices that you're making now, perhaps through the people that you will mentor, the relationships that you will enter into and serve, that you will see that God is mindful of your humble state and that your legacy can transcend your lifetime. So I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we prepare to close. Paul Gustafson, one of our elders here, is going to come and lead us in prayer. And as he's coming, I invite you to, to bow with me and just hear these closing words before Paul comes and, and prays. For the moms, may you know that you are blessed, that you are honored in the eyes of God, that that God sees the humble state of his servants. May your children rise up and call you blessed. And may you experience that blessing even sometimes in the midst of the piercing of what it means to be a mom. For, the, for those for whom this is a painful day, may you know that you are seen and loved. Whether you're grieving the loss of a mother or a broken relationship with the mother, whether you're grieving a, a child who's rebellious and has turned away from God, whether you're grieving a, 
a pregnancy that you terminated at a young age, whether you were wrestling with infertility, may you know that you too are seen and loved and that God is mindful of the humble state of his servants and that just like Mary, your legacy too can transcend your lifetime. 